our eighth message in the book of Hebrews. Uh, in the bulletin is an outline you can follow. Same outline I have up here. And as we look at this passage, what we find is that God has promised to you, his people, a place of eternal rest. Our outline is simple. Point one, there's a promise of rest. And point two, it's the example of our God resting from his work. And point three, that this place of rest, some will enter, but many will not because of unbelief and disobedience. Let's look at the first section of the first three verses. God promises a rest. Verse 1, there is a promise remaining of entering his rest. Now for the Israelites coming out of Egypt, seeing great miracles, the leadership of Moses, the hand of God upon them. And yet, hundreds of thousands of Israelites disobeyed God and did not enter the rest of the promised land. Not only that, but God was angry with them. And the implication is they did not rest eternally. They were separated from God. So the promise is given to God's people. He didn't just bring them out of Egypt to leave them stranded. He brought them to bring them to the land of their own. That they would govern under God's leadership and God's law. And this would symbolize that they were the people of God. Called out against the heathen nations. There is a place of rest for God's people. In John chapter 14, at the Last Supper, after Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said to them, I'm going to die here in Jerusalem. And he looked at them and he said, Why are your hearts troubled? I'm going away, but I'm going to my father. 
together to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I have a room, a place for you, my people. Brothers and sisters, I hope you find that comforting that in the midst of strife, persecution, suffering, in a sin-cursed world, God is sovereign. God is in control. And God will bring you, his people by faith, to rest and peace for all eternity. This is the promise of God. But notice that this writer of Hebrews to these Hebrew Christians scattered across the Roman Empire because of persecution. He reminds them, fear not. Well, fear because what if you come short of God's resting place? You see, the example of Israel is before us. This group of people did not believe and were disobedient they committed idolatry and immorality and many other sins of complaining and grumbling. For 40 years, their character was to disobey God and not believe this God who raised up a servant in Moses, this God who spoke to them from his holy mountain, who gave them the law, who led them by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. The people of Israel fell short because of disobedience and unbelief. And the writer tells us this should be a warning. Fear lest you also come short of God's promise of rest. Now, in verse 2, he reminds the audience that the word of God was preached through God's prophet Moses in the wilderness. Just as the gospel 
has been preached here in this first century. The gospel is preached to both them and to us. Because the word has clearly been proclaimed. We must pay attention to the word of God. Lest we fall short in disobedience. So, what does he say? Israel heard the word of God. But did not believe it. Did not act on it. Did not obey it. Israel, led by God, complained. Let's go back to Egypt. In Egypt, we had better food. Though God fed them in the wilderness, they complained about the water. Though God gave them water, they complained they wanted meat. God sent judgments on them because they were not hearing the word of God preached to them through Moses, especially. How do we react to the word of God? Are we like Israel? We hear it, but we don't really listen or apply these things to our heart. So the warning is, be fearful lest we fall short of applying the gospel. Because the writer says, in the end of verse 2, that the hearing must be accompanied by faith. You must believe God's word by the power of God's spirit. Faith is a gift of God. We naturally don't have faith to believe God's promises. This is a work of God to produce faith in you. But faith is key for us to understand and obey God. We read Romans chapter 1. Not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who would believe it. But the, this salvation and this justification, this giving of righteousness is claimed not by works, not by keeping the law, but by faith in God, especially 
in the mediator. God provided Jesus Christ and his work. The just shall live by faith. Or you could say the reverse. The just by faith shall live. It's not just how we enter the kingdom. It's how we stay in the kingdom. By faith, we believe God and therefore obey God and his promises. Israel did not do that. First Corinthians 10 reminds us of this example. How Israel lately heard the word of God, had the law of God, were led by God, turned their back on God in the wilderness. Verse 3. The writer restates this promise. We who believe, we who live by faith, he says, do enter that rest of God. My friends, what God promised is true. Jesus said, John six forty seven, He who believes has eternal life. Not one day you might work toward it. Not after years in purgatory. But by faith, in Jesus Christ, you have the forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life. You don't get what you should have earned, but you get, by God's grace, this place of rest, this entrance of rest to be with God. But he continues in verse 3 to restate the negative warning. Those who believe have God's rest, but I swore in my wrath. Those who disobey, those who did not have belief, will not enter this rest. Several times in this passage, the writer affirms the truth of rest with God, but also affirms the truth of God's judgment on those who reject the gospel for the ways of the world 
and the flesh and the devil. They will not enter. But you who believe do enter. Do you believe? Is Christ your hope? Then the promise of God is for you. God's election is sure. Those he calls and elects, he justifies and glorifies. So be encouraged that God will complete his work in you. So the promise is made to us just as it was made to them. But it didn't profit them because they walked in unbelief and disobedience. Faith guarantees our rest. It's a sure promise of entrance into God's kingdom. But it's a sure promise of denying of God's rest to those who will not believe. When the gospel is preached, make no mistake. People are accountable for rejecting the gospel. They know what you're doing. That they don't want any part of God and his Christ. And God promises the eternal rest, but he promises also the judgment on those who reject Christ and his work. Now, the writer reminds us of this rest of God is patterned on what God did in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The Genesis story is important. We must see the early chapters of Genesis as historical fact and not myth that God in six 24-hour days created everything, including man. And he said, it's good. And then the seventh day, and the word in Hebrew is yom, a 24-hour day. So after six days of God at work, 
and it's good and complete. God rests. Not because he's weak or tired, but his work is done. There's nothing else to do. And this pattern is given to mankind. Six days you are to work, and one day you are to rest before me and give to me the worship that is due to me as the sovereign Lord. This pattern is restated when the law is given through Moses in the Ten Commandments. To remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, six days you're to work, and one day of rest and worship. We're often reminded that we don't even like the fact that we're supposed to work for six days. We often get lazy. We want the government to provide for us. You know, that's a pattern throughout human history. Why work? But God says work and then rest. And so that pattern's good for us. Work is beneficial. It's helpful. It's God's way. But then he says, set apart a day to rest from your work. Rest from your normal recreations. And come and worship me in spirit and in truth. In the Old Testament, that day of rest was Saturday. In the New Testament, the apostles changed that to the first day of the week to honor the resurrection of Christ. Did they have a specific revelation? Well, it's not recorded. But it seems that the apostles were in agreement that the church of Christ would worship the first day. But how are we in modern society? We not only don't necessarily like to work, we certainly don't like to honor God on this day. And Sunday becomes a day for family for shopping, for amusement. 
Can you imagine what would happen in our culture if the NFL and NASCAR and Major League Baseball and other sports took Sunday off and said, we want you to go worship God. They couldn't do it. It would be an uproar. I listen to enough sports radio to know just the Philly fans would go berserk. They didn't have their game today. They might complain about it, but that, in a way, is to our God, our recreation, our pleasure, our family, our work. But God, the writer says, rested from his work. He gave the seventh day. It's spoken of throughout Scripture that it's the pattern of God. Work and rest. So, this pattern, this reminds us that this rest that we celebrate today, this Lord's Day, is not a rest that we entered the promised land as Israel. It reminds us of this eternal rest that Christ has promised for his people. Rest from what? Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation to those in Christ. For by the Spirit, there is no more the working under the law of sin and death. The law was given. It was good. It shows us our need of God and Christ. But the law could not save us. Did not save Israel. It does not save us. Because we can't keep it. But Jesus, in his active and passive obedience, kept all the points of the law without sin. And that record satisfies God and is imputed to us as a righteous record. And so, this example of rest reminds us that there's a sure hope of a rest. But there's also a sure promise 
on judgment of those who do not obey. So the third point, verses 6 to 10, is restated that there's this rest of God. Verse 6, some will enter this rest. The promise of life, eternal life, is sure and certain to God's people. Brothers and sisters, this promise is given to God's elect, God's redeemed by the work of Christ. In John 17, in Jesus' prayer, Jesus says, I have not lost any you have given to me. Be comforted. If you believe in Christ, the promise of your salvation is sure. Because it's not dependent on you or me. Keeping the law, it's dependent on the work of Christ that God the Father has satisfied with. But again, the writer reminds the year in verse 6 the word was preached, but they did not listen to God's word because of disobedience. They did not enter God's rest. First, the promised land of Canaan, but the final rest of all eternity. And in verse 7, he quotes from Psalm 95. David said this, there is going to be a period of time before this true rest of God is experienced by God's people once and for all. But the promise is restated. But he also again makes this warning. Quoting Psalm 95. Today, this is the fourth time in two chapters the writer has warned the ears. Pay attention today to the Word of God, lest you fall away, lest you be deceived by sin, lest you harden your hearts to the truth of God's word and therefore fall away. Again, the example 
Israel heard God, saw God move, heard from Moses, heard the law of God. But they said, make us a golden calf to worship. Let us commit immorality. Let us go back to Egypt. Let us complain. Where's Moses? Where's God? And God said, they hardened their hearts in disobedience. He restates that in these verses. But the warning we must think of today, when I hear the word of God preached, when I read it for myself, do I harden my heart to it? How might you do that? You might say that was for those people back then. That doesn't apply to me. I'm 21st century modern man. That's nonsense for modern man. That was superstition. Whatever. Jesus reminds us in the parable of the sower from Matthew 13 that when the word of God is preached there are four responses <clears throat> three of those responses do point to serious judgment in the final times but really what Jesus is saying when the word of God is preached some people their hearts are so hard, the word of God bounces off of it like it's a hardened bath. And the seed does nothing. Satan snatches the word instantly. People can hear the greatest sermon by a great preacher, full of the Spirit, and get up and to leave church and say, what time's the game? What time's kickoff? Watch for lunch and pay no attention. People can hear the word of God, Jesus said, and it falls on stones. It's shallow, little soil, but people say, that was nice. I like that. It tickled my ears. But it does nothing to change them or their lives. It's shallow. There's no fruit produced. Where Jesus said, you can hear the word of God and the thorns choke out the good plants. And there's no fruit produced for my kingdom or for me. You're just serving yourself. 
and your pleasures and your lust. Those are three dangerous categories of responses to the preaching of God's word. And that's what Israel did. And the warning for us today is do not harden your hearts because sin and Satan, the world and the flesh will surely deceive us. And as we pay attention to hear and obey. But Jesus also said that there's a category where the seed, the word of God, brings forth fruit out of the heart. Those people don't just hear the word, but act on it and obey it. Let's be like that today. Let's go forth and say, what does God want me to do? Because I'm a servant of Christ. He restates in verse 8, they did not enter this rest. Because of disobedience. Hundreds of thousands passed through the Red Sea. And who came to the promised land but Joshua and Caleb? Aaron died. Miriam died. Even Moses died. It's not to say that Moses suffered judgment eternally. But you see, God did not allow Israel to enter the promised land of that generation. He raised up a new generation under the leadership of Joshua to cross the Jordan River and take possession. But what he's saying here in verse 8, if that leadership by Joshua had given the people eternal rest, there's no need for Christ to come and bring true salvation. He spoke of another day, another priest, another mediator that would come to promise rest. Verse 9, therefore, the promise of a day of rest is sure and certain of. It's a sure hope to those who believe. But again, it's a sure promise of destruction and judgment to those 
who reject the gospel. In verse 10, who enters this rest It's the person of God who enters by faith. They cease to strive to keep the law, to have a record of righteousness that they can present before God. How many people think I'm a good person. I'm better than my neighbor. I'm 55% good. I'm only 45% bad. Or they may even think higher of themselves. I'm a moral person. I go to church. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. The Apostle Paul says, that's trash. That's rubbish. All our filthiness, all our righteousness is like a filthy rag. You know, the Hebrew for that phrase, filthy rag, means a used menstrual cloth. Nobody would rock around in society and say, look at me. I'm wearing used menstrual cloths. That's total uncleanness. But the scriptures are saying, If you think your righteousness will please God and get you to heaven, it's like you're covered in absolute filth. You must cease from not trying to be good. You must claim the alien Outside righteousness of Christ, because the just shall live by faith. You cease from striving and rest on the perfect, finished work of Christ, because Christ and God has rested. Where is God? Excuse me. Where is Jesus? He sits at the right end of God. Still a high priest. Still interceding. But the work of atonement is complete. For his people, we claim it by faith. Again, the world says, 
That's stupid. You gotta keep working. You gotta do this. Buddha, on his deathbed, it's allegedly recorded. He told his disciples, keep striving. Keep striving. That's the world of false religion. That's the lie of the devil. You cannot earn your way into the kingdom of God. It's by grace. It's the work of Christ. So rest in that. You and I will be tempted to go back to the law. We studied that book, We Would See Jesus. He made that point. You start with Jesus, you stay with Jesus. And don't go back to striving for righteousness. Couple action points. I'd like you to read Hebrews 4, 5, and 6 for the coming weeks. Second, I'd like you to read the Gospel of John and take note of the I am statements. Because the I am statements show the promise of God of redemption complete in Christ and the eternal rest those who believe. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life for the spiritually hungry. I'm the spiritual, spiritual water for those who thirst. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the resurrection. I'm the true vine. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. This is what we need. So to encourage you to trust Christ, go back and claim what Jesus said. I am sufficient for all that you need. Then the fourth action. If this is good news for us, you and I must bear witness of this gospel and preach Christ. Even this week, if we have opportunity, because Jesus also said, really, millions and millions and millions of people are on this broad road of destruction due to sin and Satan and flesh and the world. They think they're in good shape, but they're at it for perdition. But, Jesus,
There is a narrow path. And some, by God's grace, find it. Our job is to tell people that Christ is the way to that narrow path of life. So, would you pray for one or two or three people you know? You know are lost and far from salvation. Would you pray that God's spirit would move? That they might hear the gospel. They must hear the gospel. Somehow, open air preaching from the pulpit, the radio, one of the, one witness, reading the scriptures. But Romans 10 says, when people hear and call out to the Lord, they will be saved. So pray for people that they might hear, that you might witness, and that some would be saved by God's grace through this means of faith. But they must hear, and they hear because the preacher, the witness, is sent. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this eternal promise of rest because of your grace, because of Christ. None of us here are deserving. The wages of sin is death. But the good news is the gift of God by faith is eternal life in Christ. May we look to Christ, the great I Am. May we be broken because we have friends, family, Neighbors, co-workers, who are currently rejecting Christ. Give us a heart of compassion and the boldness to be faithful servants and witnesses.